Welcome back to the Deep Fame. My name is Zach Elliott, joined by Mr. Fister, producer Raven. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's pretty early today. Bright and early. We were talking about this. I feel more energized than I usually do, which is just a bad sign for like 2 p.m. today, but that's okay. Uh, today we're going to run through what was... I would characterize as a fun trade deadline, even if there was nothing like actually tectonic that happened in terms of shifting the landscape of the NBA. Uh, run through all of that, talk a little bit of the NFL Hall of Fame just because I thought it was interesting, and then we'll get Ravens Super Bowl pick for a game that he just despises so. But without further ado, even if the deadline doesn't always necessarily affect the title race, I think that it's one of the premier events of certainly the NBA calendar. And then across the different major American sports, I think the only one that would compare is baseball. Because like football, especially just scheming and how it works and for years that has always been the explanation as to why outside of a handful of years, uh, major deals don't happen in football towards the middle of the season. But for basketball, baseball, even when it's small things, it's like when you Google what trades happened today after the day of the deadline, whether it's August 1st or baseball or uh, yet yesterday for, for basketball, you end up with like three that even if you're paying attention, you didn't see. And I think that's fun at least. If you're Raven, then you hyperfixate on... Um, the, the, the 19, Robin Lopez. The Robin Lopez minutes that you're going to be losing out on. Yeah, it's a shame. We're going to run through all the deals that were made, but I wanted to start with all eight teams that didn't make a deal at the deadline, specifically the 7th and 8th, separated in terms of questionability for doing so. Category 1 already made their deal, the Heat. Uh, Terry Rozier has been a clunky fit to this point. Um... I, we talked about that at probably more length than necessarily deserved on this show, but I don't know. It's gotten a little bit better. I know he played well and again, a win against Orlando a few days ago, and they beat the Spurs two nights ago, and he looked okay again. They've won four out of their last five. Um, he had. What is it? I'm looking at it now. Uh, 18, six, and seven against Orlando. A couple, and then on the second. At 15, 8, and 5. Watching that game, it, it was more exemplary in terms of how Rozier can have an, a calming effect and still a positive offensive impact despite shooting 2 for 13, just as having an extra threat on the floor. And then I think that he's more passable on defense than Hero. They already made their deal. I think they could have made more, but it's fine. Uh, already made one deal, but could have done more with cause. You put the heat in here, but I said more so the Rockets and the um, the Pelicans. The Rockets, I like. Stephen Adams isn't going to play the rest of this season, so cool. And then yet you, uh, you lose your picks out on it. I think that this team sh- deserves the chance to gestate for the rest of this year, and then we revisit it in the off season before we consider any seismic changes to the roster but there was talk of things like Jalen Green being sent to Orlando or just 
picking around at the edges, then picking up someone like Tyus Jones to strengthen the guard rotation even more. I wouldn't have minded it. I think it's a little bit more concerning for the Pelicans just because they beat the Clippers the other night after handling them pretty soundly for most of the game. Uh, their wing defense is clearly effective. I think Paul George started 0 for 8 in that game. Zion, although he doesn't play defense and rebounds for like five minutes a game nowadays, it is still a scary team when they're all on the floor. That has not been a lot this season, but it has happened. I think that they could use another on-ball creator, someone in the Brandon Ingram mold that's just a little bit better than three, even if he's worse at everything else. Like, I know Jones, but even like Luke Kennard would have been cool because I think they have the defensive infrastructure to support him. But they didn't do anything. That's okay. They're in the playoff race firmly. Health is as good of a reason as any not to not to rock the boat, but like, I don't know, Raven, this is a fun team to watch and shouldn't that, what what is more of a motivation, not rocking a boat or making what is a good team potentially great? I mean, I think it's the boat, personally, but I don't know. I think trade deadline's a time that you go to get players, to change up the team, to get something new make a change to the next half the season and when you have a team that's not really doing anything like your bottom of the list comparing it to the teams that made either a little moves or like we're thinking about making moves I don't know I feel like those teams that were kind of thinking about it are even in a better boat because they kind of understand what they want whereas I think those bottom tier teams just really don't know what they're doing or what they want. Do you think that there's something to sometimes team just shuffle the deck for the sake of it when they're really bad, like the Pistons, for example? Yeah, I mean, if your team is like utter doo-doo this year, like the Pistons, sadly, I don't think there is anything bad in just changing everything. Like, keeping your core guys, obviously, but then anyone who's mediocre just trading them to see if you can get a different fit i i would tend to agree even if it doesn't fundamentally change a lot just doing something for a lot of teams is better than nothing but i think even like the bucks a few years ago or the Cavs this year who are in this next category we like what we have thanks uh the Cavs, the magic you know what, I, I agree with you. I think I'm going to put the Pelicans in here, too, for the same reasons that we just stated. Cavs have been excellent in the absence of Garland and Mobley, and now that they're getting them back, I have real faith that they figured out the team in their absence and that they're going to integrate Garland and Mobley back in with the understanding that they have, where Allen not only is more of an offensive hub, but is a dominant roller, rebounder, and is the guy at center. Similarly, Garland is an excellent passer, ball handler, shooter, but it's the Donovan Mitchell show, and I think that they're going to understand that. So I don't blame them. They're in the top half of the East, and I think they're going to stay there, barring an injury, barring an injury to Mitchell or, or Allen specifically. 
And then the Magic. Again, I think that it's another rock the boat candidate. Paolo makes his first all-star team. Um, neither he nor Franz has stepped up their shooting despite both continuing to be on the ascent. I Again, it's another team where you could add on the fringes, add shooting, whether that's like Monty Morris, who they didn't end up picking up. Uh, the one that was really interesting to me, just in the back of my mind, was Anthony Simons. If the if the Trailblazers decided to really decide to accrue some value from him just because I think they could send out enough back in the terms of Anthony Black or Jet Howard, young guys that they just drafted or guys over the last few years um, get a really dynamic scoring guard. And for a team that's been so good on defense all year, it would slip, but I think Simons by himself is enough to, to boost your offensive rating alone, just with how well I think he would work off of Paolo, who continues to be like a semi-successful heliocentric passing um, nexus while Franz keeps doing Franz things. I don't blame them. It was just a thought. And then three teams, what the hell are you doing? The Hawks. I feel a little vindicated because I think we said on here that we didn't think that DeJounte Murray was going to get traded, and that ended up being the case. Uh, the thing with them is that over the last 12 to 16 hours since the deadline ended, we're recording at 7.30 in the morning here, that it's been multiple reports stating how likely the Hawks are to shop Trey Young in the offseason. Which is interesting, and I think that there are teams that could have used Young at the deadline here, but I understand. Young has multiple years left on his deal, and the the comparison that I've heard going around, and um, I, do, I do generally agree with it, is that if you want to compare it to the situation that the Kings had with De'Aaron Fox and uh, Tyrese Halliburton, where Tyrese was the better, ended up being the better player, but um, Fox had lower trade value. And so they ended up sending out Halliburton for the sake of receiving a more significant return, i.e. Demonte Sabonis. Both Sabonis got better, Fox got better, and both teams ended up being better off for it. Halliburton's now an all-NBA player. So are Fox and Sabonis. One of them should have made an all-star team. We're not going back on that. But... For the Hawks, I think it's a similar thing where Trey's efficiency over the last couple of months is a little bit better than his numbers on the year. And I, I've heard people say it's like he's less of a defensive turnstile now. Like I, I understand what they're seeing, and I do think that there's something to giving effort at his size. It's just, it's not quite Isaiah Thomas level, like the, the Celtics one, where... It doesn't matter even if he does care on defense. It's just going to be rough. But I I do acknowledge the effort he's put in on that end to be at least more passable on the defensive end of the floor. I'm just never going to trust him, particularly in a playoff game. He's not Chris Paul. Like, I think it's interesting. Who is there anyone that jumps to mind for you for who you might want to see him on, whether that's like a rebuilding team that he helps going forward. Like I would really like him on the Raptors 
or someone that he gets traded to that it's actually a contender? I would rather see him go to a contending team, personally. As as someone in support of him, I'm sure. Like, I don't know. Like, the Lakers are always the one that people put on, but I, I'm not convinced that LeBron's, A, going to be there next year, or uh, B, that they can even swing a deal for him. But maybe I'm foolish to think but there were the ones that jumped to mind for me were uh maybe like maybe new orleans i don't know just having another ball handler in there would be cool and i think that again new orleans is currently six on the year in defensive rating and i think could integrate someone like young without giving up too much i think they would swap him out for mccollum because i think they would have to for salary reasons but also for um, for skill overlap. Maybe he's the offseason target of the Warriors, which would be just awful in terms of backcourt defense. We talked about the Magic a little bit and how they could support someone like that. He'll have suitors, I think, more than DeJounte, just because Murray's value has gone down enough that they weren't able to get the return they were looking for. Uh, the Lakers were the first result that came up when I... When I was just looking at a list of teams that didn't make a deal today because I was pretty sure I knew I didn't want to miss something because I, um, I'm i apologizing for not thinking about the Rockets that much in my daily life. More than most, but still. The first result was, did the Lakers make a trade today? Uh, no, they did not. No, did they not. Hourglass emoji. It's, it's looking like, not necessarily that they don't, care about the peripherals of the situation but it doesn't look good with they've been the most talked about team for the last several months in terms for of the wrong reasons. for the wrong reasons in terms of like who do we need to get rid of who do we need to add should we bring back caruso should we go get Dejounte, or even trey should we go i mean like even guys getting I mean, a lot of the time it's talking about in terms of people that they're getting back, but like pie in the sky stuff about Mikhail Bridges or Tyler Hero or uh, Buddy Heald. And they didn't get any of them. And I think that sometimes I do want to like take it easy. And as much as I think that this is just a continued decline of the Lakers era with LeBron and that. When he and AD, if he and AD make the play in, it's going to be a similar thing to last year where you still don't want to play him. And so from that perspective, especially with D'Angelo Russell playing decent for up to two months now, you're still scared of them in the playoffs. And I, I kind of, I'm not as outraged as I'm sure much of Los Angeles is. They would have sent out whatever was remaining of their future, and I think that if they were going to get somewhat of substance, it would have required Reeves. And is is anyone that you're going to bring in for consummate value going to be the same value as Reeves? Just I, like he's a tertiary ball handler, even like a fourth ball handler if you count LeBron and AD as both like head of the snake guys, Russell there too, Reeves on the floor. 
the defense with that is sometimes questionable, but it's it is a solid concept that I think will be better as rotation is shortened. And I think there's something to that continuity. I also think there's something to the fact that the Lakers might just be coping with the with the idea that they're going to either lose LeBron or that their window is shutting and they do not want to mortgage more than they already have, which is a considerable amount. You want to talk all the players that they've traded in the deals to help improve the team with LeBron, whether it's the original one with Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Keandre uh, Russell the first time, the, I mean, was it getting Westbrook, getting guys like, uh, getting KCP in the building, and some uh, some of them clearly worked out, but I honestly, I don't necessarily blame them for not doing more. I think in a lot of ways they've done enough. And then the last team uh, that we'll get to the at the end after we recap some of these trades because I don't want it to eat too much airspace, uh, the Bulls, which I wrote a bad word in my notes that I will avoid saying for Raven's sake, but it will be given its own place for a diatribe. Before we actually jump into the trades that took place yesterday and the day before, I wanted to go through and just like, first thing that comes to mind, what's the trade that's going to stick out most this time next year? I think the main three would be either, if you're not counting Siakam, it, if the Pacers are able to resign him, that's obviously it. If you're talking trades that happened this season, he's averaged 22, 7, and 5, great efficiency. He's a better defensive four than Obi Toppin. No shit. That is the overall trade of this season, I think, unless Steven Adams randomly becomes Marcus All. But I thought either Buddy Heald, uh, Bogdanovich, or Hayward. Raven, is there one of those that jumps out to you immediately? I feel like Bogdanovich kind of jumps out the most to me out of Hearing those three names, I mean, we all knew Buddy Heald was probably going to get traded and that the 76ers wanted a perimeter guy, but I don't know. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and they're not really sure how they feel about Buddy Heald on the 76ers. I don't know how that fit is going to really work, but Bogdanovich, I feel it just works a little bit more. He brings more to the table right away. He doesn't have injury issues like Hayward, which is mm-hmm. the biggest point with him. He is good, but can he stay healthy for a year in a row? But I would tend to agree. I think it's Buddy Heald is going to be useful, but is a hyper specific, not hyper specific, but a specific role player that will contribute in a specific way. He'll get you like 10 to 20 a game. And part, yeah. And part of what is good about that deal on its head is that his deal expires. And so he does something this year, but he allows the Sixers to maintain cap, cap flexibility in the off season. And then my favorite thing after a trade deadline is not as exciting or as groundbreaking as a team wants is that the immediate, um, the immediate report on what they intend to do with their cap space. In this case, it was like, if the Clippers uh, do not end up, or if Paul George does not end up signing his extension with the Clippers, then the Sixers will be targeting aggressively, which like, sure, okay. 
Bogdanovich, we'll get into it a little more, but I think he has a real chance to elevate this team to an Eastern Conference final threat the next two years as the missing piece, including this one. He's someone perfect next to Brunson Randall, so on and so forth. Put it on the deck from triple drives. He fits well. I think if Hayward contributes to a playoff run, which, look, I mean, he's only played 25 games this year. He hasn't played since December 26th. But his averages are pretty close to in line with his career. So if he's able to do that as a, a sixth, seventh man in a playoff rotation, he doesn't solve their size issues. But having an extra veteran presence on one of the youngest teams in the NBA, I think, is not a small thing, even if Hayward is not exactly the most tested playoff of that. We're going to come back here in a second, recap all the trades of the deadline, and then talk a little bit about what we look forward to the rest of the season. And we are back. All right. Jumping in at Wednesday, only three trades occurred. The the Timberwolves acquired Monty Morris from the Pins the Pinstons or the Pinchtons. They uh whatever. It's for a second round pick and then the salary flotsam of Shake Milton and Troy Brown Jr. Bulls legend, Troy Brown Jr. Look, Morris has played all of six games on the year. But he's a career 39% three-point shooter. He's been in big games when he was on the Nuggets. If he's another guy that can fill in as a reasonable presence next to or behind Conley in games, think back to Towns getting benched when he scored 62. Mike Conley didn't play that game. And we cannot blame a brutal loss in a night like that to the Hornets on not having Mike Conley, but having veteran steady hands at point guard. As time has shown, eternal makes a big difference. And if they can get back to 39% from three, then all the better. Detroit also acquired Simone Fontenecchio from the Jazz. The Jazz receive Kevin Knox, the draft rights to Gabriel, I'm not going to try and say the name, Persita, and a 2024 second round pick from the Wizards. Uh, Fontenecchio another name that I really hope that I'm not saying wrong, is the uh, the classic white European darling of stat nerds. But, I mean, it, it's a very much a neutral thing. He does not play all that much for the... I mean, he does. It's it's He's 23 minutes on the year, but over the last couple of weeks, uh, he has put up middling numbers... He fills a spot on a rebuilding team of being a a Bogdanovich type that maybe if he's given a bigger role, then he goes from nine points a game to 15 if he can maintain his efficiency. He shoots 39% from three. Like, he's also 6'8 and not, like, the slowest guy in the world. I don't hate it. If you can get a little bit better, then you have a guy that can at least fill minutes on a terrible team and help you avoid the loss record. I think it's honestly kind of strange that the that the Jazz were willing to give him up unless Fontenegio didn't want to actually stay there, but weird that he wanted to go to Boston instead. To to Detroit. Yeah. Or Jesus. I know what you meant. 
but it's I don't I I would doubt that he wanted to go. It, it's a weird dump. I thought that he played a a decent role for them and was not. Unless the idea of just of playing games. more minutes is what he wants. Yeah, but it it that rings of the Furkan Korkmaz asking for trades once a year. Yeah. Are are you familiar with that storyline? I feel like I've heard it a few times. I'm sure you've seen something about it. We'll just we'll get to that in a in a minute, but I'm very excited for Furkan. And then finally, the Celtics acquire Xavier Tillman from the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies receive a 27 second round pick from the Hawks and a 2030 second round pick from the Mavericks in the most exciting three-way deal that we've had. Look, Tillman doesn't even shoot, shoots 22% from three and has played in all of 34 games this year. Again, he has regularly been a defensive contributor primarily. That is not all that disheartening if you are someone who would like to see him in Celtics rotation, but his his two-point percentage has dropped 16% since last year. He shot 61%, now he's shooting 41 Granted, again, he's been hurt a little. Uh, he's only played 34 games this year, but if he can stay healthy and fit in with what is already obviously an amazing Boston conglomerate over there, shout-out Kyrie, uh, he is going to, I think he'll he'll fit well in a team that's already amazing on defense. All right, in order backwards on Thursday, the Pacers acquire Corey Joseph and wave him. I don't think that he's going to get picked up. He was playing eleven minutes on a team that desperately needed a steady veteran and oh well. Uh. Trailblazers acquired Delano Banton from the Celtics for a protected second. I only mention this because protected second is the funniest word for random flyer ever. He was playing seven minutes a game. Good for him. I liked him on the Raptors. Uh, the Celtics acquired Jaden Springer for the 76ers for a second round pick. Celtics just taking a lot of flyers. I loved him as a, a springy guard out of Tennessee in the draft as a defensive guy. He's playing almost 20 minutes a game over the last five in the absence of Embiid. I still like the idea of him as a scrappy fill-in, but you can get 100 of those guys. Uh, Raven loses his beloved Robin Lopez to the Kings, who will waive him per Adrian Wojnarowski. He at least had the number one tweet of the day. A highlight of tweet of all time i would say it it goes in sports in, hall of fame in the tweets. nba twitter annals with uh or the just sports twitter annal with mitch trubisky and um like a lot of others Pitt, and so uh kevin durant drinking bath water uh indiana pacers acquire doug mcdermott from the spurs and the spurs acquire marcus morris who and then the pacers obviously acquired Marcus Morris in a deal with the Sixers in the first place that got the Sixers buddy healed. So take that in order. The Pacers received Marcus Morris, Furkin Court commands, 2024 second round pick from Toronto, 29 pick from Portland, a 29 second from the Clippers, and cash considerations. Picks are the only thing that really matter here for Indy. They get a handful of seconds plus 
maybe a rotation player in Furcon. I highly doubt it, but picks are the only thing that matter. Plus, they end up getting Dougie McBuckets back after a short stay in San Antonio. Buddy on the year is 12, 3, and 3, 44, 38, 85, shooting seven threes a game. This is actually somewhat of a down year percentage wise for him, but he's still one of the league leaders in three pointers made, as he is every year. And he is actually shooting a career high at the rim, which I think speaks to his partnership with Halliburton. But I think with Maxine and Embiid, then space will be there for that, that growth to continue. Furkan Korkmaz has a Requested a trade three times. I think going back to the 2017, 2018, he asked to be included in the Harden deal, and both sides said that they thought it was a bad idea, which is just so sad. But he got thrown into into this deal, and I'm happy for him. Like, does this how much do you think this helps the Sixers? Let's let's just assume Embiid is back in time to play reasonably healthy in the playoffs. I don't think it helps them at all. <laughs> like, the Marcus Morris pick did more, but, I mean, you have guys that you're already playing with Embiid with, and so getting another guy that's just a more catch-and-shoot. You can never have too enough. much. I was going to say, you can never have enough shooters, which is very true, and especially with like a Embiid-type player who's very heavy paint presence and not the best range shooter, but can pass the ball decently well. So. Mm-hmm. Especially this year. Look, I think it helps, but I agree with you more on this than I did on the, the Rozier point, just because I thought he did a little bit more for the Heat. Nobody's ever just a buddy healed away, but He's been one of the best shooters in the league for five-plus years now. And just having that guy next to a 35-point-per-game scorer, someone who is going to give him some of the most open looks of his life, and that's a guy who was just playing with Tyrese Halliburton, it's going to help if if they want to re-sign him. I also think that that's cool, and I think having the heels of the world next to I mean, that's why the Lakers wanted him so much, having healed next to AD or LeBron in the same way that it would be great to have him next to Giannis. It would be great to next to have him to Embiid or Jokic. He would, like, like Buddy Heald would shoot 50% from three if he played with Nikola Jokic. It's the same kind of thing where I think the gravity of Embiid is going to help a lot, and I think it will make a difference, especially if Embiid can actually play reasonably healthily in the playoffs, but... That is really the crux of all of this. Otherwise, it's just adding a shooter to a team that has been pretty awful without their star. Uh, the I mean, for the Pacers, I, I do think that eventually rerouting for McDermott at least leans into what you do well by getting a really good shooter back. He still shoots 40, almost 44% from three on four a game just by only playing 15 minutes. It's on a bad team, which should tell you where he is defensively in his career but he gets to return to his midwest white haven um so i'm sure he will feel more comfortable in uh, the field house than he did actually no texas would probably be fine too but eh. morris fills in as a veteran for for the spurs he's eight three and one he shoots okay from three 
he'll play. Having more guys like that next to Wimby is a good thing, I would say. The Bucks also acquire Patrick Beverly from the Sixers, uh, and Philadelphia receives campaign and a 27 second. Patrick Beverly, I mean, like, the the stat muse of Pat of deals broken today, where it was Woj 11, Shams 5, and then Patrick Beverly 1, is a little tongue-in-cheek, but good for him. He's a real media member. I was just say he's making his media presence and just resume there better towards the end of his career. So he's an insider. <laughs> he is quite literally an insider. I'm not too I have no feelings about this trade. I mean, I think it's good to get that mentality in the locker room just because Yeah. The room I mean, you, you lost your locker room halfway through the year and had to change your coach, so Getting a guy like that who can hopefully get these guys back on track is good by my book. I think of the galvanizing force he had in only in a limited amount of games for the Bulls last year, for sure. And there was a, a lot made about the Bulls' record increasing dramatically after they traded for him. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Beverly is still a bad shooter, but like 6-3-3 three three isn't afraid Clearly, there were there were moments against. I think it was the Warriors. They lost bad, but he was he took like on back to back possessions, took an awful step back three, and then a spinning layup in the lane that he actually made. He's still willing to just try shit, and whether statistically or just eye test, he still is getting up in people on defense. And for a team that is playing Malik Beasley starter minutes having a guy like that to even out the defensive capabilities of your rotation is ideal. Plus, he knows Doc. So that's another guy that will support the coach that you have in there, right? Because he was on the Clippers. Yeah. Um, he's 10, 3.5, and 5, with and 39% from 3 in his last 10, too. So I'm guessing he will obviously play less in Milwaukee, but if they... If they want to put him next to Dame, I honestly wouldn't hate it. If you just want to make Beasley a six-man gunner. Campaign is shooting well, almost 50, 40, 85. But his minutes have fallen into the low teens over the last few weeks. So they were ready to move on. And I think that he fills more of a role on Philly as a spacer than Pat did, Bev did as a defender. It's reshuffling the deck. I think Beverly matters more. And I also think that that's why uh, Philly received a pick, a second-round pick out of it. The The Suns require, yeah, acquire Royce O'Neal from the Nets and David Roddy from the Grizzlies for three second-round picks. The Suns sent out a pick swap and include four players in the deals, those being Chemezi Metu, Jordan Goodwood, Yuta Watanabe, Keta Bates-Diop, the veritable poo-poo platter. Um, Roddy is a good rebounder. The body. 23 minutes per game and 46 on a Grizzly team. He's just inefficient. Uh, Royce is 7, 4.5, and, and 3 on the year. Shooting 48, 36, and then 68. He's never been a good free throw shooter. He's, he's a positive on defense. He always has been. He's never been like. I think there were times when he was on the Jazz that people talked about him, like he was Scottie Pippen, but 
He's always been a good defender. I like his rebounding a lot too, just watching. He's not Bruce Brown, but he gets in there. Uh, he's not a significant negative on offense. Even when he's not hitting shots, he still moves the ball. And I don't doesn't make a ton of turnovers. He can dribble a little bit on pumps and drives. And ultimately, like, the Suns have another playoff rotation player because, I mean, is is Chemezi Metu, Jordan Goodwin, Watanabe, or Katie Bates-Diop a playoff rotation player for a team that has reasonable title hopes? No. Probably not. So you're... Not only are you getting rid of what is a... A, sat, a roster glut of players you don't really need. You're getting in a player that you can reasonably play 20 minutes in a playoff game. You're opening up roster spots for a team that could add someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, who got cut by the Raptors after getting traded for. That would be big. You're getting another ball handler in there, and the Suns have not had a point guard all year. As much as I've had uh my qualms with Dinwiddie in his career, shout out Kyle Kuzma, Din Shitty Island. It is someone that I think that they should absolutely target. And if someone get, like Seth Curry, I again, I'm sorry if one of these guys gets waves or cut while we're doing this, or if I have missed it in the last 12 hours, but someone like Seth Curry getting cut from the Hornets, or someone that, like even if campaign got waived, guys like this just to bring in bringing him back to the Suns, for example, would be interesting. And so you're freeing up a spot for that. Never rely on the buyout market. Gone are the days where Shannon Brown is going to come in and play out rebuild playoff minutes for a good team, but I think it makes sense. And what was maybe the most, most? It depends how you feel about, I guess, Buddy Heald. In the most impactful trade, the deadline... P.J. Washington and two second-round picks from the Hornets for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and then a top-two protected 2027 first-round pick. And that is the reason why I think so. Because if you were going to go through and take the, the 1A and 1B stars around the league, guys that can be number ones or strong number twos pause on title teams, how many of them are more likely in the next few years to get frustrated with their situation than Luka? Oh, my God. I've been saying it for a while. I think Luka and Jokic will find a way to play together. But Okay, it's much more rather that the former try and finds a way to play with the latter, considering Jokic has a title Yeah, and seems not at all interested in rocking that boat. But they also are close friends, knowing They that. are friends. Um, Luka is definitely... I've been saying that the Mavs need to be doing something to help him for a while, but I don't know mm. what you can continuously do if you're not, if you're helping in the worst way possible. But I do think if three or four more years go by and they don't really get anywhere, I do think he'll probably leave. I have no idea where he will really go though. That's why I find this pick interesting to put it lightly, it is one of those tentative situations where Kyrie's not getting younger and he's been hurt a lot this year. If that goes poorly or he leaves or retires to go, uh, I don't know, spread Spew the good. 
spread the good word of the uh, Mississippi Lutheran Church. Um, That's only going to deteriorate. I really like P.J. Washington. He's been down on the year shooting-wise. I think he's he's only shooting 32% from three on the year, but has shown to be a strong shooter at the four in the past. 13-5-2. Positive offensively. Passable defensively. On a bad team, which says something. He's understized, but next to Lively, and now also Daniel Gafford, who they also got from the Wizards. Uh, Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleber, even if Kleber hasn't played a lot because of injury. There's enough here where, and because he's Luka, you're going to have at least a tenable record over the next few years if he stays and is healthy. But... This this could end up being the the Grizzlies pick that uh, that almost became LeBron. The Grizzlies had a top one protected pick in a two thousand four draft, and so the only way that their pick would convey back to them is if it landed at number one, and it ended up at number two and went to the Pistons, who drafted Darko Milicic. Well, the number one pick was LeBron. I'm not saying that the Mavs are destined to fall apart, but in terms of stars, I think are going to be moved over the next couple of years. I think it's guys like Towns. I think it's guys like, I mean, we, we have to delineate the differences between stars here, but I think it's guys like maybe even Garland, George, for different reasons, not even because of discontent. Zion, Luca's up there and he's the best of them. So to lose out on him means that that pick becomes really juicy really fast. I think that Grant was miscast, Grant Williams, in this role, or at least with Luca. I don't know why. He seems like he would have been perfect, and he started well. I question if Luca is going to end up fitting into the Harden mold rather than the LeBronish, heliocentric mold. And by that, I mean, I think that we had similar questions about whether or not people actually enjoyed playing with LeBron earlier in his career. But as time went on and LeBron actually won or made the choice to move on to a place where he could win, we saw him differently. Harden has done the same thing and has not won. So it's a question of door A, door B, door C. He stays with the Mavs. He wants to be their next Dirk. He toils away. He gets his one title and then retires a Mavs legend. Door two, like LeBron, he finds a better situation and he wins his titles and vaults himself higher in the all-time player echelon. Or C, he's Harden. He is not good enough to be a central winning player. Maybe there's only like three guys in NBA history capable of actually doing that. And you end up in a situation where Luka Doncic is 32 or however, I think Harden's 33, 34 is getting traded to the Suns, who are starting Bronny Jr. at point guard, and he still doesn't have a ring. Can I throw a fourth door Of course. Out there? I think he'll have a decent run of success in the NBA and then kind of want to go back to Europe and go like finish his career there. He's not Nikola Mirotic. He's going to make more money here. He's obviously going to make more money here, but I do feel like part of him is going to like want to go back for either FIBA or FIFA tournaments. Don't. Or, this is the wrong time in American history to be telling people to go back to their country. Yeah. 
But I'm saying more so in the fact of like playing in your country's sports and like. I'm sure he could do that. I'm not. I'm just saying he's not going to leave the NBA. No, I'm not saying he is like leaving. He already the NBA plays right in FIBA. Now. He played last year. Yeah, and he's going to do it again. Good. Well, I hope he has success. What are we talking? He's going to have more success <laughs> than he has with the men. Okay. Uh, the Raptors acquired Spencer Dinwiddie from the Nets for Dennis Schroeder and Thad Young per Woj. I only uh, say that because it said per Shams they will waive him, which is just petty. Uh, It's a 30-year-old guard for a 30-year-old guard. Dinwiddie got cut. I think he'll get scooped by Lakers or the Suns, like we were talking about. Maybe even, I mean, the the Timberwolves traded for Monty Morris, but that's always an option. Maybe if the Clippers don't want to play Bones Highland anymore, so on and so forth. He is the prize of the buyout market, not because he's been amazing on the year, 12-3-6, shooting under 40% from the field, but on-off. And, like, I think he's always been this inefficient guy, yet we enjoy watching him for the most part, aside from the end of two seasons ago when he was really bad on the Wizards. I... I've generally been in favor. I think Schroeder is better. He's been a positive on offense and defense. He's been fighting on defense since he was with the Lakers last year. And I think he's better than Dinwiddie, which is why the Nets probably got a little bit better. But for the Raptors, it's cap space and a roster spot dump. Whatever. Uh, shout out Thad Young. 18th year in the NBA. He was in the 2008 draft. I was seven years old. Pretty incredible. Not doing a lot. He does get minutes. So, hey, maybe he's a, a veteran leader. He can get Ben Simmons back into, into playing shape. If Thad Young can play 18 years in the league, Ben Simmons can play, like, 20 games in the season. You know? Dallas Mavericks acquired Daniel Gafford from the Washington Wizards. Wizards receive Rashawn Holmes and draft compensation. Holmes is dead weight, but uh, as, as salary cap, I'm sure he's a lovely person. Gafford is 11-8 and eight on the year, 26 and a half minutes per game, shooting almost 70% from the field. He's been a positive defender for almost his entire career. He's a strong roller, is more experienced and stronger than Lively, Derek Lively. And I approve, even if they should never, ever, ever, ever play together because their deficiencies line up. And if you want Luka to, uh, to leave even sooner, please, I encourage you to play them at the same time. He's a little undersized but makes up for it in strength if you're playing against a Jokic in a playoff series he's just another body that you can throw at them I think he's a guy that benefits you against the stronger driving teams in the west i.e. the New Orleans the OKC's for sure good addition helps with their deficiencies I'm a fan Bulls legend we already talked a little bit about uh, Bojan earlier, but Knicks get Bojan Bogdanovic, Alec Burks from the Pistons for Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, Malachi Flynn, and two second-round picks. So Pistons, Fournier is a $22 million cap figure that might get stretched or bought out. He had no place on the Knicks. He has no place here. Malachi Flynn has... Barely played at all on the Knicks. He had moments with the Raptors. Again, 
you have open roster spots. Anyone is better than Killian Hayes. Another guy that, honestly, for his defense, I think will be picked up by someone like a... You're going to have Killian Hayes on your team, bud. <laughs> no. You're going to have Killian Hayes no. on your I just thought of it. You're absolutely going to have no. him and Patrick Beverly on the floor at the same time. Come on. I will lose my shit. <laughs> Quentin Grimes is the, I guess, prize here. He's been 7-2-1 on the year. He's 140% from the field, but he's still a strong defender in his 20 minutes per game. His two-point percentage has dropped 14% from last year. Being under the being out of the Thibs shackles might help. There's no structure in Detroit. Maybe that helps for a guy like Grimes, and he's able to expand his game in the absence of guardrails. Who knows? I like him. I think that he is a better shooter than Killian Hayes, albeit probably not a better passer, but that's not really what the Pistons wanted out of Killian at this point. He fills that role better, and I think will actually add to winning in a way that Hayes didn't. That's good, and he will be on the team for the next few years if you're able to resign him going forward. Bogdanovich and Burks are the prize here. Uh, before that, NBA stopped scheduling games on the trade deadline day. Tom Thibodeau, please stop being insane. Playing people that you're trading on. Trade well, no, that he didn't play people that were getting traded. That's you're not allowed to do that. No, but okay. Precious Achua and Isaiah Hardenstein were playing together at the same time. They lost by a lot to the Mavericks. Just. Well, A, that shouldn't happen, and Bogdanovich or Brooks would have been there in one of their stead, is more my point. So, like, don't schedule games yesterday, but more so, that was ugly. I already talked about it. Bogey is 2, 3, 2.5 on the year. He's 47, 41, 77. Excellent shooter. Brooks' season was really yucky early on, but he is... 46.5% from three over his last 15 games. He's He has the uh, ignominious honor of being under 40% of the field, but over 40% from three on the year, which is just, a, in ways, really impressive line to, uh, or needle to thread. But, like, for a team that next to good shooter in Brunson, and a hypothetical good shooter in Randall, adding OG, adding another great shooter in Bogdanovich, adding at least another great spacer in Burks. Like, they, as much as we want to talk about Thibs as this uh, grinded-out old-school coach, this is the most analytically-minded last month of trading that we've seen in a while. They acquired three great shooters and two solid to solid for Bogdanovich great defender for Ananobi like Burks can't play defense but you got the other two for that I'm I'm really really impressed with how much the Knicks have done to they're back to winning again I think they've won either four of their last five or all of their last five prior to uh prior to the math loss this this is scary if you're in the East or a fan of an East team, because just looking at the top of the East right now, it's the Celtics, it's Cleveland, it's Milwaukee, and it's New York. 
with Bogdanovich on that team and Embiid being hurt the rest of the year, I think the Knicks are the second best team in the East. You can't put them above Boston. Boston has the pedigree. They have Tatum, Brown, White, Porzingis. Have a verifiable Death Star, and if any of the guys that they acquired at the deadline are able to fill rotation minutes, they're even scarier. But the Knicks are eighth on defense on the year. Their offensive rating continues to improve. They're up to 12th now. Boston is first and third in those. Again, they are on a different level as everyone else. But the Knicks have been so good, and they are only augmenting what they do well by detracting from their deficiencies, by getting rid of guys that it seems like Tibbs either doesn't want to play or has no business playing in Fournier or Malachi Flynn. I am impressed, and I cannot wait to see this team in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Raptors, rounding out the rest of these, acquire Kelly Olenek and Oshag Baji from the Jazz. The Jazz receive Kira Lewis, Otto Porter, and a 2024 first-round pick, which is the primary prize. It's going to be protected, and the Jazz are good enough that it won't matter that much, but hey, you get a first out of uh, Olenek. The Raptors players didn't even play. I liked Kira's athleticism in the draft, but the first is the prize. It'll be the least favorable of Oklahoma City, the Clippers, the Rockets, and the Jazz in 2024. So, I guess OKC. So you get like the 26th pick in the draft, 28th for Kelly Olenek. That's not bad. Oshai is improving, has sound positional defense. Olenek is... 56, 43, 84, 8, 5, and 4. How do you feel about like a rebuilding or a retooling team like the Raptors? Just like, because it's a mix, because they send out Schroeder and then cut Dinwiddie, which is clearly making their roster work. But they also acquire Olenek. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> Canadian. He is Canadian. He is Canadian, which Tassos did point out that he loved that. Getting R.J. Barrett and Kelly Olynyk. They got two Canadians. They're, they're just forming the Canadian super squad, as some would say. But, I mean, the Raptors need some... I don't... I mean, I would say they need some height with getting rid of Siakam earlier yeah. this year. And Kelly Olynyk's not a bad shooter. He's a good player. He's a good guy to just have on. You know, I remember him... Being on like four different championship, not championship teams. I don't know if they won, but he would make it pretty far in the postseason every year with teams like the Heat, the Celtics, the Matt. Like, I just remember always him always being there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he fills some of the Siakam. He is not the defender or the athlete that Siakam is or ever will be, but as a four and five who will probably start either with Pirtle or be on the bench right behind him. He does everything, and the Raptors kind of need everything. I like it, and adding shooters for Scotty to work with is not a bad thing ever. Best of the rest, and then... Oh, God, the Bulls. Uh, the Pistons acquire Daniel House and a 2024 second-round pick from the Sixers. They wave him. House has a place on a good team, 15 minutes a game of good perimeter defense. I'm sure he will end up on someone like the Nuggets and will look great. Finally, 
The Thunder acquired Gordon Hayward from the Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets received Trey Mann, Vasily Micic, and Davis Bertans. Mann doesn't even play 20 minutes per game on a loaded Thunder roster, but he was a first-round pick a few years ago. He has a chance to fill in at Terry Rozier's role at the least, and that would be a win. Because overall, Hayward was a loss for Charlotte. I don't hate the effort to sign him, but this year he is 14.5, 4.7, and 4.6, and then 47, 36, 76 from the field only averages out to about 50.5 effective field goal. A lot of weird numbers to say mid. Uh, he hasn't played since December 26. He's only played 25 games this entire year. Good defensive on-off on the year. He's been... He has been solid when healthy, and he's just never healthy. He is a great acquisition if he is able to play in an actual playoff rotation. That is so far from a given because we have not seen that since the Celtics, and even then it was it was limited. It was, I think, 2018, 19 when he was coming off the bench for them. Look, over the last few years... I'm including the COVID one in here, so take 2020 with a grain of salt, but 25 games, 50 games, 49 games, 44, and then his last one in Boston was 52. He has played barely over half a season in the seasons that are quote-unquote healthier. This has been his problem since he left Utah, and like I feel bad because of how horrific that leg injury was. I'm just glad he's still playing, but... He, he has a chance to, to make a demonstrable impact on a playoff series if he can play all seven games of it, if it was hypothetically seven games. He has a veteran presence on what was would be one of the youngest teams to ever be at the top of the West. I really like it. And they didn't give up anything of value other than Micic, who is the, like, on-off darling of the season, where I would I check in every now and again just to see what his uh what the numbers are on lineups he's in. This twenty-nine-year-old point guard with feet slower than mine. I'm in love with him. I hope that he gets to play forty minutes a game on the Hornets. He is uh what everything that Lamelo Ball wants to be. Okay, we're running out of time, but I did want to did want to create a little bit of a moment to say that as much as I talked about the Hawks and the Lakers not making a deal, the most unacceptable is my unacceptable team uh, not making a trade at this deadline. I think that it's sometimes overblown how much a team needs to make a trade at the deadline. It was not this time. I hate them. The Bulls have become the basketball charters. Over the last 20, 25 years, the, the Chargers had Breeze, they had Rivers, they had Ryan Leaf, they had Herbert. Varying degrees of success for them, but I think it's almost too close of an analog. You have your Herbert now, not that Kobe White is Justin Herbert relatively, but like you have an extremely exciting young talent that's being wasted by mismanagement. Going back to... Oh... Going back to, like, I guess Leaf would be, uh, no, Leaf is uh, fucking Patrick, Will pardon my language, is Patrick Will being completely useless and wanting a billion dollars. Rivers is, 
just the guys that have st- like the Kirk Heinrichs of the world rose when he was healthy, like doing their best, but it wasn't enough. Breeze is marking and getting traded off to a franchise and becoming an all-star or an all-pro in his case. Years ago, the Bulls traded LaMarcus Aldridge for Tyrus Thomas and Victor Crappa in the draft. That is the man's name. We should have known that the next 20 years would be like this. What's the point? Damar Vooch and Levine... Levine, it's it's not necessarily his fault, but they should have traded him in the offseason too. Like, I've heard people, like, at least in some consolation that keeping Caruso is good for as having like a defensive guard who does a lot as a culture guy. Great. That's great. Do you want a Udonis Haslam to hang in your rafters? I don't think so. I do not. Yes. I do not want that. So then get him out of there. Tomorrow's a free agent in the offseason. He's 35 years old. He is old. He's still good, but like 22 points a game good. I I get, again, the same way I talked about the Lakers, I will give the same, try to get, I can try to give the same grace to the Bulls, but like they were just in so much of a more hopeless situation. Karnasifus says that he wants to remain competitive. Why? Why do you want to remain competitive with this roster? You can trade Vooch in the offseason. That's fine. His deal will still be okay. But I feel like teams are in more need of him now. DeMar, maybe it's a sign-in trade. Maybe you re-sign him and he plays out his twilight in Chicago. That's all well and good. You are you are not uh you're not extracting value from a player that has it. You should have traded Levine to the Pistons before he got surgery. <laughs> They, they continue to kick themselves in the behind over and over again. And just like the Chargers, they find new and exciting ways to frustrate their fans. And it's worse because at least the Bulls have fans. Since August of 2021, the Chicago Bulls have not made a trade involving a player. Okay. Raven, before we go, yes, and before I go cry myself to sleep, or to nap, I guess, uh, who do you have for the Super Bowl? It will make me feel better if we lost to the Super Bowl champions, so I will be taking the 49ers. High-scoring game or low-scoring game? Uh, ooh, I'm feeling a low-scoring game this year. That's what Brendan and I were talking about. Feeling a low-scoring game. With how... At least the the Chiefs game went, and then conversations about the San Francisco line and how that'll make a difference, and how the Chiefs secondary will hold up. It'll be it'll be a good game. It will make me forget about the last two days, which I will always. Remember. It was fun, but I will always remember for a bad reason too. When the Bulls are ten and seventy two in two I years, for, I forget the quote, but I just remember it's. Um, I drink to forget, but I always remember. Uh, that was actually me. Oh, right now? That's you, like, right now? <laughs> that That's was crazy. me, like, 10 hours ago. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. My word does get around. Uh, Raven, do you have anything left to plug? A uh, new episode of On the Gravel coming out this weekend, and new episode of Good Morning Hockey coming out after this. I know. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. 
We'll uh, catch you next time. Like, subscribe, listen to everything else on the Alethio Network. Have a great weekend, and I will see you all on Tuesday.